Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. My name is Vito Doria. Or if you want me to Italianize it, Vito Doria. That's with the accent. Beautiful. Yeah, um, that's a lot better. It's a lot better. And that's going at the, the beginning of the podcast as well. Thank you very much. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome along to the Forza Italian Football Podcast. We're back from the international break. As ever, I am your host, Connor Clancy. Joining me, as usual, Kev Pukchowski. <laughs> Kev, hello. Hi, Connor. How you doing? What are you doing, mate? I'm just writing out a little bit of the table. I've never seen you with that facial expression before, and I didn't know what it was. I thought it was concentration, but I wasn't 100%, so I just... I just wanted to check what you were doing because I can only see you from the shoulders up. So I was a bit nervous. But anyway, Vito Doria is also here. A very sleepy Vito Doria, I think. Vito, good morning. Morning, Connor. Yes, I haven't woken up uh, long ago, but uh, fortunately I've got my coffee here and once again my FIF mug. So <laughs> I can't believe it's been a year since I've returned to Australia from Europe. So yeah, still miss it and... Uh, Really can't wait for all of this uh, pandemic to be over. What? So, that's a year ago? Yeah. So I returned 16th of October, 2019. And I thought you were going uh, to admit to bringing the pandemic over for a minute there, but you know, no. shattering news. <laughs> no. No, just, just reflecting and uh, reminiscing, you know. That... Makes that is a bit worse. mad, you know, because I, I rem- obviously remember that night that we were like just kind of knocking a ball around in the centre of Parma. That does not feel like more than a year ago. It's a little bit crazy to me. Mm, it's gone so fast. Yeah, I mean, well, what, seven months of it, basically. <laughs> Been a little bit different, right? So that's, yeah. that's crazy, though. That is crazy. Kevin, have you finished writing your table out? Yep. 
And we got your permission to start talking about the football that happened this weekend. Go for it. Right, because it was quite a good weekend, wasn't it? We, we had goals, goals, and more goals. There have only been nine games played at the time of recording. Obviously, there will be a tenth with Verona hosting Genoa on Monday evening, but we wanted to get to you as quick as we could. So here we are on Sunday night recording, and it was a, a weekend with big fixtures, really. The, the biggest of them took place on Saturday, which is a bit unconventional for Serie A, but the Champions League is back next week. So Serie A was accommodating to its European sides. The biggest of the games was undoubtedly the Derby della Madonnina, the Milan Derby. It took place on Saturday evening, and believe it or not, for the first time in four years, Kev, AC Milan won. Zlatan Ibrahimovic scored twice, and Milan is top of the league. Yeah, and they've been going great since the the turn of the the calendar year, really. Um, We touched on it before we came on air. Uh, Technology failed me, so I've only had chance to, to watch the highlights, but it looked a, a fairly a fairly even game, you know, and on, I was going to say on paper, but not necessarily on paper, but the, the two sides look relatively even matched considering 18 months ago, maybe even 12 months ago, Milan looked far, far away from where Inter were in like challenging for uh, a lead title or even turning them over, as you touched on, it's been four years. Um, I know Inter did put them under quite a lot of pressure towards the end of the game, it, it seemed, but Milan looked like they deserved the victory. They absolutely did, yeah. And there was a point in the first half where after Milan had gone 2-0 up, then Lukaku scored to make it 2-1. It looked like it might play out in the same way that the Derby did last season, just before football came to a stop. And I kind of joked about it on Twitter, but at the same time, I was I was having a conversation and I said, there's no way Milan throw this away from being 2-0 up because I know they did it recently, but this is, in the space of six months, already a completely different Milan team, Vito. And for the first time in a long time, you almost expect them to win when they play now. It does seem that way. And uh, the way they have been in 2020 as a calendar year, they really have been galvanized by the presence of Ibrahimovic. And uh, just collectively, they look so much better uh, in terms of mindset. There's just no comparison to what they were before Ibrahimovic returned. And I must admit, I am quite surprised that they are on top of the Serie A table because uh, it, it just contrasts greatly to what we saw around this time last year. They just looked so disorganised and devoid of confidence. Now they go into the pitch and they look like uh, they can beat anyone they face. It does. We do have to point out, when you look at the statistics of the game, Inter did have more of the ball, more shots and all of that. But I don't know, I think it's quite easy to get caught up in in statistics when so often football is about a little bit more than that and a lot of the time emotions feelings impressions that aren't necessarily concrete or provable they end up mattering a lot more than mere statistics do alone and kev this is a a milan team who look like they could do something i'm not saying they could challenge for the title but why couldn't they no, I think all across Europe, you're going to see a very strange 
um, a strange season, uh, you know, and we could see some of the lowest points totals, I think, for, for league winners this year. And just a little bit of consistency can possibly take you a long, long way. So if Milan can, you know, maybe even remain unbeaten until um, the end of the year, which isn't far away now, then um, it gives them a fantastic footing for the rest of the season. It absolutely does. And Kev, Vito mentioned that Zlatan Ibrahimovic's return has made a huge difference in this side. It's something we spoke about a lot last season. We even joked about it at times. But I mean, two goals, and even aside from his goals, one of them was a rebound from a penalty that he missed. But he really, really doesn't look 39, does he? Kev, that was for you. Oh, sorry. Um, I thought it was for Vito for a minute. No, he... he no, he doesn't. Um, you know, I don't want to mock him like I've done in the past, although um, I saw a tweet he put out today, which was, Milan doesn't have a king, they have a god. <laughs> and I just, oh my God. <laughs> and uh, I, I kind of I kind of feel, um, I don't know if this is going to be an old an old reference for, for, for you, maybe less so, Vito. Um, he reminds me a bit of uh, Steven Seagal. Uh, that he might become like a bit of a parody of what he's famous for, you know, his his liking for um, martial arts uh, and whatnot, and just the way he has that. I don't think I don't think his hair is befitting a man of his age, even if he doesn't look anywhere near uh, physically close to uh, close to thirty nine. Do you not think he, he pulls it off? I I no, so I think it's become, it comes almost a caricature with the tight back sort of ponytail, but. Yeah, he's um, just imagine if he was able to take them to the title this year. You'd probably never hear the end of it, but no, you wouldn't. He, he's clearly been transformative for the for the side. You know, maybe some of the younger players or just the more inexperienced players at that level. Because I always used to talk talk about them as a a squad of almost Europa League level players. And if he can just lift them that little bit more, then they've got. A, really good chance just looking at how they're playing at the moment of getting Champions League qualification yeah 100% I, I had them in my top four prediction um, at the beginning of the season alongside I think it was Atalanta, Juve and Inter but looking at it now Napoli are kind of hard to overlook in that conversation as well everyone looks good there's going to be a couple of teams missing out at the end of the season I think we could be on for a very very exciting um, battle at the top, not necessarily for the title. We don't know what's going to happen, but like you said, the the circumstances around football are different. Um, so who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? But Vito, I think when we talk about this, do we have to tread a little bit carefully? I know Milan fans might not want to hear this, but Stefano Pioli is a coach who has done okay in patches at previous clubs, and then things have gone not very dramatically south, but a little bit stale. So are we at risk of kind of judging this Milan team and heaping praise on them a little bit too soon this season? What history tells us, that's probably the one thing Milan fans have to be cautious about. Pioli is a coach that does not last very long in jobs. So because of that, that's probably where there might be that concern that the form might drop off. If we're to, to base it on what we see on the pitch, then it looks like uh, the way Milan are playing, that the real concern would be 
how things would go if uh, Zlatan were to get a serious injury injury and get uh, you know time off and a prolonged uh, period of time off as opposed to uh, being in isolation with COVID nineteen. Yeah, I, I do think that is something that needs to have an eye kept on it. But with with regards to Inter, I, I don't really know what is happening there, to be honest with you. And Kev, it's something that we've we've often questioned Antonio Conte, but he's kind of at it again. I mean, even Perisic keeps playing. Alexander Kolarov is not very good, but Conte loves him. He didn't play Christian Eriksen, brought him on in the second half, and then had a go at him in the press conference afterwards. I don't really understand. Is... <laughs> Is Conte going to be at the centre of another? Um, I, I can only think of the Italian. I can't think of, another scandal at Inter this year. Is he going to cause a lot of problems that ultimately hold them back? You see, I, I think Conte has to win something this year to still be still be there next next year. Um, not necessarily that that will be into pushing him out of the door. But I think for his sanity, uh, he realises that if he doesn't, he'll probably his head will probably explode just with the, um, you know, the inability to achieve something with a squad. And it's just more the players they've brought in that has kind of concerned me a little bit for Conte. He seems to be bodies more than any coherent sort of idea as what he what he wants. I know you know he's got players he likes like Kolarov, but he was he was at fault for the the penalty given away. Ibrahimovic um, and then you've got someone that they courted in Ericsson for quite a long time finally got him and not not only don't seem to play him in a role that is best for him but don't seem like they've got a plan to um, find a way around getting him into the side because you know what he was doing in the Premier League creatively you would think that that would work just as well in, in Italy uh, if you find a role on, for him. On Ericsson, Kev, I'll stick with you. Is he kind of falling into the same trap that we've seen um, like the likes of Isco at Real Madrid come into and even Philip Coutinho after he joined Barcelona from Liverpool in that he is in a team where his position just doesn't exist? So like Isco at Real Madrid was a 10 in a team that played 4-3-3 and Philip Coutinho's kind of, he tried to play in midfield to be Iniesta but he was never that and then when he played in the front three it never quite worked for him as well is Ericsson now that guy I think there's there's certainly some some of that in in there I think um less so with Isco but certainly with Coutinho there was such sort of clamor to get him in you know, you know, and obviously Coutinho at Liverpool made, you know, he said he was injured uh, to try and force the move. They kept hold of him. Then they were forced Barca to play a huge amount. You know, so there's a little bit with that with Ericsson where Tottenham are trying to keep hold of him. He didn't go until January. So then they've made this big thing about, you know, not necessarily naming him as this, you know, final piece in the jigsaw, but you talked him up as one of this, these players that you've been desperate to get through the door. And then he could have played great 
and you probably still would be slightly underwhelmed because you're expecting him to go and get sort of 15 assists in the second half of the season and score a couple of goals. And it's the expectation levels being just raised too high because of the efforts you've had to go through to get them in. Yeah, well, he was billed, and I, we even spoke about him um, potentially being the guy who could make the difference in Inter's title challenge last season. But anyway, we'll leave the derby there, and we will move on to the Stadio San Paolo, where Napoli thumped Atalanta 4-1. And oh my God, Vito, Napoli again looked excellent. Oh, now were, were absolutely superb, especially in that first half. Uh, just the way, if we just focus on the way they played uh, for the time being, I just thought that uh, just the way the front quartet, you know, in the 4-2-3-1, just the movement they provide, uh, the confidence on the ball, and the way they uh, interact or combine with each other, I thought they were just superb. Uh, Osimhen is obviously that reference point. And I think with his physical presence and the way he's able to lay the ball off to teammates and draw out defenders, I think he's been a fantastic signing so far and he got a well-deserved goal. And uh, Herving Lozano, I remember when he came under Ancelotti and he just wasn't used to it, you'd think that maybe the money spent on him was a waste. But uh, so far, his start of the season has been superb. And with that brace, he's... Uh, you know, taking his tally to four game, four goals in just three games. So he's having a superb start. And also defensively, I thought um, that was superb too. So uh, I think all around, although Sam Lam has got the consolation goal for Atalanta, uh, there's plenty that uh, Gennaro Gattuso can be satisfied with. Yeah, 100%. But that, their attack is actually quite frightening. Lozano is completely settled now it took him a while to find his place in that team but he is loving it and Kev is it I mean quite clearly found his place on the left of the attack where Lorenzo Insigne prefers to operate as well and is that a potential problem when Insigne's fit again that the two of those like to occupy the same space I think it's probably a probably an issue for Lozano because I can't see a scenario where Insigne being captain uh, just doesn't not come directly straight back into the side. I don't think, you know, Gattuso's going to do that. But you, you usually just find a really sort of slow bedding in process to get them back in the side when they're uh, so emblematic, if that's the right word, for the, for the side and, and, a, and a bit of a talisman. Um, he'd, he'd have to be probably putting up the numbers that Mertens was putting up when he replaced mm. it at Milik. I know Milik wasn't around to come back into the side when Mertens started playing through the middle. But I think it, it would need a run of form to that level to stop Insigne coming back into the team. Someone who is showing incredible form, although surprisingly it took him until Napoli's fourth, I think. To score his first goal was what is Victor Osimhen. I mean, he's been amazing. And Kev, don't jump down my throat, okay? Because I'm gonna say a name that's ridiculous. But watching Osimhen in his first two and a half games for Napoli, from the moment he came on against Parma and just completely changed the game, the way he impacts on the other team's defense 
is similar, not the same, but similar to what Brazilian Ronaldo used to do. Defenders just do not know what to do when he's around. They completely panic and they're more concerned about what he's doing than what they're doing. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a similar sense of panic, but um, the the let's call him the original Ronaldo or the real Ronaldo. Just Ronaldo is uh, fine. Just Ronaldo is fine. Um, would would drop a bit deeper and 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 worry defenses with with running at the ball at his feet because he was he was relatively like physically commanding as well as the speed and the tricky. I, I don't think uh, Osman's quite got that, but certainly you know the just a theory sort of puts puts into defenders is is clear. And actually, the confidence for um, you know when when Napoli are trying to play the ball through him to feet to his chest, whatever you can see the the speed at which the the players uh, the Napoli players get around him, it's because they're confident that he's going to pick you know he's he's going to hold it up there and he's going to be able to do that that interchange of play and and bring them into play, um, and you could see how I think I think he's obviously started so well you can see that on the pitch. But how they celebrated his goal sees mm. that he's also, you know, seems settled amongst the squad, which is really difficult this summer because we had such a short summer break. You know, so there hasn't been a long bedding in process through pre-season. So it looks really positive. Even when um, when they played here at Parma and the first goal went in, he was doing that little dance with Mertens that Insigne always does with Mertens. And it just looked immediately like he's completely settled into that front three, not only on the pitch, but in terms of building a relationship with them as well. And we saw when Napoli were at their best, that front three of Insigne, Callihan and Mertens, they seemed like they were best friends playing together and that can only help them. It can only help them. But Vito, you touched on the defence and when when Costas Manolas went there last year, we expected Napoli to defend like they did against Atalanta. Have they now found that defensive solidity that we expected from them a year ago? I reckon they have. Um, it it was surprising that they couldn't find this last year and that even when Gattuso replaced Carlo Ancelotti as the coach, that eventually the pairing was between uh, uh, Nikola Maximovic and Kalidou Koulibaly, but now maybe it's just... Yeah, I suppose with more time or maybe the way Gattuso explains things to them. Um, the, they seem to be functioning better now, Manolas and Koulibaly. And uh, they certainly, if they certainly keep this form up, they can be one of the best backlines in the league. So I think, uh, yeah, it's uh, great to see for them. Um, having two defenders of the calibre and with the experience of Koulibaly and Manolas... Uh, it just makes things a lot easier for the likes of uh, Di Lorenzo and even Hussain when he goes forward that, you know, they can uh, tack with a sense of freedom. And uh, also another thing to touch upon is that when Ancelotti was there, there probably wasn't a proper defensive midfielder to really protect them. But uh, in the second half of last season, uh, Diego Demme was brought in to give him that protection. And now uh, Timur Bakayoko has come in and he had a superb game as well. So I think him operating as that screening midfielder or anchor man, whichever term you like to use, um, I think they also help give some 
adequate protection as well. How important do you think Bakayoko is going to be? Uh, surprisingly, I think he's going to be very important. I mean, when uh, watching him play, I thought, okay, look, his passing was pretty simplistic. He was going mostly sideways and backwards. But uh, even though that passing looks simplistic on the eye, it still it still serves a purpose because it just keeps things functioning, um, stops teams from you know applying a press. So you know, in that regard, you pass to a teammate in space, you resist the opposition from trying to press you, and you just make sure that your team holds onto possession. And uh, especially in that first half, he had so much of the ball. It just uh, allowed his more skillful teammates to do as they please. You know, like the front quartet, like I said, they offered plenty of movement. They were able to create, play, express themselves. Uh, Fabian Ruiz was controlling play from deep. So you've got someone like Bakioko who goes more horizontally, whereas uh, Ruiz was that guy who could go more direct, uh, play more vertical diagonal balls and... Uh, I think uh, to have that sort of contrast uh, really mix things up for Napoli when they attack. Yeah, it absolutely did. On the other side of that coin of defensive solidity and uh, a defensive midfielder who protects his defence, you had Atalanta who were without Remo Freuler, whose importance we've spoken of, and I think it was clearest on Saturday when he wasn't there, just how exposed they were with, with their own on the on the left where Freuler usually plays of that four in front of the defensive three and Mario Pasalic was on the right where Derome would usually play and it was just a little bit of a disaster um, none more so than Jose Luis Palomino Kev who didn't have the best of times up against Victor Ozyman and he can be erratic and he can also have moments of brilliance where he puts in big tackles but he was at his chaotic worst on Saturday, I think it's fair to say. Well, yeah, and I think uh, I said this to the other week when a team close to my heart shipped a few goals. You'd rather at Atalanta lose one game 4-0 than four games 1-0. And the fact that it's against Napoli and it's against Osserman, um, you know, probably won't get too harshly criticised and can hopefully return to form in the next in the next game, so I think because Napoli are so playing so well at the moment, it might get missed a little. Um, but also, you kind of you kind of well, not expect them to ship four goals, but you kind of expect that they play the way they play. And actually, I think I saw you tweet uh, something like this: you've got to kind of expect mm. blips like this, if you like. And that's yeah. and that's what it will be. It will be a blip, not a. It's not that they're in terminal decline. No, absolutely. I, I do think you're right that what you said was absolutely correct. You would rather your team take one pumping a season than seven really, really narrow defeats. But yeah, I, I tweeted today that it really, really annoys me when I see people say about Atalanta. And today it was about Sassuolo. Oh, if only they'd sort, their out, sort out their defensive issues, they'd be world beaters. And that completely misses the point. They wouldn't be. The reason that they're so good and they score so many goals and they're so fun to watch is because usually they don't defend. If they did defend, they wouldn't score anywhere near as many goals. We saw last season, at the back end of the last season, we spoke every three days about 
Atalanta look like they've sorted their defence out because they were conceding uh, one or zero goals a game, but they were only scoring one goal a game. And then when it got to the end of the season, they weren't scoring and they weren't defending either. They got beat 2-0 by Inter and then things went to pot in the Champions League against PSG as well. For Atalanta to be their best, they you've got to accept these defensive issues will be exposed every once in a while. But I don't think they'll be as exposed as they were on Saturday because usually you've got Berat Jimshiti in that back line who is a very, very calm, composed and competent defender alongside Palomino, who's chaotic, and Toloi, who can also be the best of what Jim Shitty has and the worst of what Palomino has. But on Saturday, you had Christian Romero beside Palomino, who's basically the same. He's basically the same player. And they were both just all over the place. They came up against a very, very good attack and they were exposed. I think... I wouldn't be surprised if Atalanta conceded four goals in another game this season, but I don't think it's necessarily going to be too much of a problem when you look at the big picture come come May. I, I still think they're going to be right up there. But anyway, we can move on from that, thankfully. And There's a lot of fun happening in this podcast this week, and one of the three of us is about to have even more fun because <laughs> Lazio went up to to Liguria in their terrible kits and they got beat 3-0 by Sampdoria and the person who's going to have a lot of fun is me because Fabio Quagliarella scored again Kev you're going to owe me a dinner <laughs> I know <laughs> luckily luckily pizza's cheap in Italy <laughs> but uh, yeah oh, well you know I did it last year so um <laughs> I, I I just I just wish I had his fitness and obviously uh, just an ounce of his ability um, to keep going at that age, but um, he doesn't seem to want to slow down for me. No, he doesn't. I've had a word with him. He knows what he's doing. I'm gonna I'm gonna buy him a little pizza once you buy me a pizza, and it's it's gonna go around very very nicely. But no, the person here who's really happy is obviously Mr. Vito Doria because. Vito, I mean, you, you suffered through last season after the ups and downs of, the, I think it was the previous season. But now it looks like Ranieri has, has you on the up. It certainly looks that way. And I think with a few late purchases, uh, they have made a, a bit of a difference too. Uh, this team now really looks like it's his squad. And it was a very complete squad uh team performance from the Doriani. Uh, defensively, we were superb. Yoshida and Tonelli, they were rocks at the back. Um, Aldero wasn't tested a lot, but when he needed to do something, he was alert. Uh, the midfield, they all performed their roles. The only criticism I would say would be that Kandreva wasn't particularly precise with his crosses, but the effort was still there despite his age. And uh, our finishing was... Uh, Top-notch. So, uh, yeah, the team was superb. If I had to single out individuals, uh, Torsby was excellent with his uh, play as a defensive mid. Then, like I was saying, the central defenders were superb. Uh, Quagliarella, of course, with a well-taken header, but the man who set up the goal and also scored the second, Tommaso Algello, um, 
I think he's another player that's going to continue Italy's tradition of developing these late bloomers because he had a magnificent game at left back and um, I'm really starting to admire him. Um, it's been a long time since Sump have had a decent left back and I think uh, he's got what it takes to have an absolutely great season. So he's someone I think a lot of Serie A fans should keep an eye out on. And that Dan's guy, the Danish kid, got his first Serie A goal. Could have had a second as well. And Adrian Silva and Keita Balde came on as subs, and they looked promising too. So um, I can only imagine how good those two will be once the match fit. Uh, I believe both players could uh, really add something to this sump side. You look at Ojalo, and he's such an interesting case because he's 26 years old. He was playing in Serie D until 2014, then Serie G until 2017. Then he went to Spezia, and then he came to Samp in 2019 and I mean even last season there was nothing really stand out there but it, it looks like he's really stepped up a notch this time oh, absolutely more than anything because he had come from Spezia who was still in Serie B at the time uh, I think there was just more trust in uh, Nicola Murro who was uh, a regular in uh, Marco Giampaolo's side and he fitted in very well in his system but again Without Giampaolo and his philosophy, he was someone that really went down a level. And uh, I think now he'll just be remembered as uh, Cristiano Ronaldo's stepladder. Now he's at Torino. But uh, towards the back end of last season, Algelo was starting to be included into the team. And he was showing these uh, glimpses of brilliance. And now I think it's very clear that he is the uh, first choice left back for Sump. And uh, I think uh, he's... Uh, his importance to the side has been increasing game after game. Shows how good the, the three defenders and goalkeeper you mentioned were if they managed to keep a clean sheet despite having to carry the load of Berezinski. <laughs> I mean, it's extra impressive to keep a clean sheet against this Lazio. But, Kev, it could have been four. Keita Balde missed a big chance late on. And, uh, this is really, really... I mean, it's quite troubling for Lazio. They're playing in the Champions League against Borussia Dortmund. Yeah, you just—it's—it's it's really, it's really strange to see how bad, how bad they are in comparison to last season. And they did have—they did have something of a collapse up when we went into lockdown. And so you wonder whether the behind closed doors scenario that we're that we're in is having a sort of maybe a larger effect on them than other teams. You know, just you know, just the players individually with with no crowds. Um, not that the Olympico is always uh, full and vibrant, um, because just the sheer size of it, you know, trying to trying to get that field for, for maybe if you like your lesser games, and um, I, unlike Napoli, where maybe last season you saw it as a blip, you maybe that's how have peaked if they can't start firing again. They were without their wing backs, to be fair. <laughs> They have Marco Parola playing at right wing back, and if you're an opposition player, you're going to be rubbing your hands together at the, the thought of that. But yeah, it, it is a concern for Lazio. Let's hope they can get back to something resembling what they were last season because they were great to watch. They were great to watch up until the, the pandemic hit and ruined everything. But anyway, next up, we've got 
Um, the it, what has jokingly been billed as the the Calabria derby between Crotone and Juventus. Obviously, Juve travelled a very very long distance to get down to the toe of Italy, and it was probably the surprise result of the weekend. It finished one one. Juve obviously without Cristiano Ronaldo has having tested positive for coronavirus just before returning from international duty with Portugal. Federico Chiesa made his debut. And you look at Juve's front, I guess, six. They're all quite new. I mean, either new to the club or new to the first team. You had Arthur there, Frabotta left back, Chiesa right wing back, Kulusevski, Portanova from the academy, and then Alvaro Morata as well. It's just... A bit of a mad team from Pirlo, Kev. Did he think, was it like a FIFA selection or something? I've got these new guys, put them in immediately. I think there was an element that they were playing, Crotone. They've got Champions League coming up, but that's in Kiev. They've definitely got Kiev, I think. (laughs) I'm covering it, actually. No, I can't even remember. (laughs) You you should know. You can't just throw questions like that up. Because I've got to search and then confirm that they are playing away in Kiev, yes. Oh, okay, good. Because for a moment then I thought, oh, actually, did they make the Champions League this year, Kiev? Um, But yeah, it was a bit of an odd selection. Um, I watched it this morning without knowing the result. And it it was just like a training game. You know, it it was ideal probably for throwing those, those, those sorts of players in because Crotone were being very, very cautious. Um, although they they did try and attack, it wasn't it wasn't merely sort of everybody behind the ball and chuck it up to chuck it up to Simi. Um, but uh, uh, probably seconds before Chiesa's red card, I wrote down that he'd played very well. And actually, when you're putting him in a in a, in a wide role where there is very little defending to do, I know it was they're almost playing a four one four one, and with um, Morata up front. Um, they looked okay, but particularly down the left side, you had uh, Frambotta keeping it very, very simple. And, you know, excuse my ignorance, but I, I didn't know very much about Portanova, but he looked like someone that had won a competition to be playing for Juve. It, it was just the the amount of effort he was putting in, sort of chasing stuff down, and then being sort of, you know very animated when he misplaced a pass or... When something didn't go wrong, he fluffed a couple of uh, shots. But, you know, it tickled me that. But probably an error on Pirlo's part to play such a second string. Mm. Or- it was nice to see. It's nice to see Simi back in Serie A, isn't it? And I mean, scoring again against Juve, given what he did two years ago with that overhead kick against them. That was also a 1-1 draw there last time in, in Serie A. I'm quite happy to have him back, and I'm quite happy to have Crotone back, generally, because it, it's nice to get that spread, as we've said many, many times on this podcast. What did you make of Federico Chiesa's red card, Vito? Because I can't help but think it's quite funny that he got sent off on his debut, but I also think it was a little bit harsh. Ooh, well... Look, I don't think what he did was deliberate, but I suppose that, you know, at least from the camera angles I saw, um, when you see uh, studs uh, showing someone else's leg, um, I suppose you're going to get scrutiny for that. So that's probably why uh, he would have been sent off. So I think that's why, but 
Yeah, I wouldn't have thought that Chiesa is the type of player that would uh, deliberately do that to someone. Probably if it was the other way around, if someone had even missed him, he would exaggerate like someone deliberately stomped on his leg. But uh, no, yeah, I think maybe it was just a case of bad luck on his part and uh, maybe when he returns, uh, he might be a bit more cautious about it. You don't need to speak to an Atalanta fan about Federico Chiesa's simulation. (laughs) <laughs> not a red thing. No? No. Why? I think if Chigarini doesn't go to ground and they both block tackle, then Gaze's studs or boot go nowhere near his shin. I think the fact that he slid in, you know, and it was I don't think I don't think Chiesa was expecting him to slide in because both of them could have gone almost full full frontal into the, the block tackle that Chiesa was trying to make, you know, opening his foot out. Uh, but because Chigrini went down to the floor, he almost put his line in, uh, his leg into the line of fire, and made but, it look worse than what it was. There was there was a, aggression from Chiesa as he went in to do it, but I think because he thought that block tackle was coming in exactly the same way to him, and then Chigrini went to ground, and it just put his put his shin down almost at at the the level of the base of your foot. But yeah, why is Chiesa's foot? going in in that way why is it going up and then down like that i don't think it does particularly go up and down Mm. i think i think because you've obviously lifting your foot to make a side slide tackle off of the floor you know because you don't want to do yourself any damage with you know getting your stud stuck in the turf or anything you're going slightly above like ground level but but chigarini coming in suddenly and then just like going into that almost bent-legged sliding position just made it look a lot worse than what it was. Yeah, I'm just, I am watching it again now and I personally can't decide. Sometimes I think it is a red, sometimes I don't think it's a red. But Chiesa does have previous for being a little bit nasty. If you remember a year ago, last summer, last summer? What, 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 when is it? Now, it's October 2020. This was in June, it was the summer of 2019 when Italy played Belgium and there was a a stoppage and I can't remember who it was but he was lying on the ground with his his arm on the ground and Chiesa just went up and stepped on it and he got away with it so Chiesa can be a little piece of work so I'm willing to say that he deserved the red card just because he's annoyed me in the past and if all of the yellow cards that he should have had for simulation were applied he would have been sent off many a time by now so yeah bye Federico no sympathy anyway to his old club um, talk about talk about things to laugh at again Fiorentina went 2-0 up within I think it was four minutes away to Spezia but they didn't win Kev they drew 2-2 yeah well I, 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 I saw the first the first goals left the house came back and watched the equaliser. Um, but then I, I kind of got round to watching the rest of the first half. And it was almost as if they downed tools largely after going ahead um, and, and then just couldn't couldn't recover. And a little bit like um, Juve never really got out of first gear. After Fiorentina had sort of hit top speed, they went back to idle and stayed at idle until letting... Um, Farias, wasn't it, scored the goal? Yeah. Uh, to sort of have a 
have a free crack just inside your box and never really put them under pressure to, you know, because that was with half an hour left. And they looked deflated by it, even with so much time to to potentially mount a comeback and try and claim a three points, which would concern me if I was um well A Yakini if he stays uh, in charge, but also mm. maybe the people that are going to be deciding on this future mm. uh, in the position because it doesn't look like the players are fighting for their for their coach. Oh, well, that's my next question, <laughs> Vito. When's Beppe Yakini going to get sacked? Mm. Well, that's the concerning part. I think it'd be within a few rounds, but the more I think about it, if... Fiorentina do sack him, I mean, they're going to be, they would probably have to pay him out. And then, of course, uh, I think Vincenzo Montella is still contracted to the club, if I'm not mistaken. So I don't think Rocco Comiso would want to be paying out two coaches and then have another coach uh, on his wage bill. So we'll see what happens with that. Putting that aside, you'd think based on the form and the squad that Fiorentina's got, I don't think Yakini's future would be, there would be much left. And uh, the sooner they bring in someone like Maurizio Sarri or Luciano Spalletti, um, I think they will be much better off. And then I would not be able to see them squander these kind of games. You'd think that even after going 2-0 up after four minutes, you'd think they would be able to sustain some sort of momentum and not uh, you know, show any mercy to a side with uh, Spezia with all due respect to them. Uh, a team like Fiorentina should be able to keep going, be able to score more goals and uh, uh, not just say that we've done enough to win the game. Just play out the full 90 minutes as best as possible and do that. What I want to say about the the Yakini thing is something that we'll move on to the Udinese Parma game because it's something similar here, which I think that because it's almost the end of October, Kev, are we at risk of applying end of October feelings to this end of October, despite the fact that in a normal season, there are nine, ten games played by now. This season, there's only been four games. So it's really, in football season terms, the beginning of September. But people are already, like, deciding that Parma are relegated and, and Fiorentina will never be okay under Iacchini. Are people getting a bit ahead of themselves? Is that is that true with uh, Syria? Because we usually start mid-September. When I did checked we... before we did this. This time last season, there were nine games played. Oh, okay. Because it, did, it, it didn't feel like it. Um, and actually, there's been some discussion of uh, whether coaches could benefit from the the situation we find ourselves in because there's there's no paying customers coming through the door. Um, clubs can't afford, you know, like Vito touched on, afford to do away with coaches. So would we actually see where maybe a club would uh, sack a coach and maybe not have the the balance of a new coach, you know, maybe get that wrong? Uh, and whether they'll be given the time to turn things around, you know, whether you do or don't trust that the coach can do that. Um, so I think while there's the same sort of frenzy uh, whipped up over social media with the club's fans and 
people like us talking about coaches being fired um there's the potential that actually it won't it won't happen not completely but uh happen maybe so frequently this year yeah i think you probably have the financial implications as well particularly given how serials is a little bit weird in that coaches stay on the books and coaches who have already coached in the league can't come in and take a job which is it does complicate it a little bit but anyway on to that Udinese Parma game it finished 3-2 to Udinese I see I sent you guys that it finished 3-2 to Parma it didn't Udinese won their first win of the season but this there were there were things about this game that didn't quite sit right with me the first is Parma we're in a funny situation in that they, they signed all these players from a lot of different countries towards the end of the transfer window. And I think it was on Monday or Tuesday this week, early on anyway, um, they returned four positive coronavirus tests. Then on Friday, no, yeah, on Friday, they took another round of tests despite everyone else having tested negative just two days earlier. And then on Saturday morning, they had another positive coronavirus test, but everybody else was negative. Then they traveled to Udine, and by the time they got to Udine, they took another round of tests, and someone else had tested positive, which it, it seems like it was Bruno Alves, because he, he wasn't in the team, in the squad, despite having been named in the squad originally. But it just doesn't seem right when you think what happened with that Genoa game a couple of weeks ago. They had two positive cases, and then within a couple of days, two were was 14. The fact that Parmas were testing negative and then positive the next day. Is this a game, Vito, where Legacy having seen the mess that happened after the, the Napoli Genoa and the UN Napoli games, that Legacy should have said, maybe sit this one out, guys, because I was told from someone at Parma yesterday, on Saturday, that they weren't sure they were going to be able to play the game. This is where I think there might be some flaws or discrepancies with the Serie R protocol for COVID-19. Uh, I think it's easy for people, and I heard it more from uh, Juventus fans on social media about the Juventus-Napoli game, that uh, you know, you've got to follow the protocol that as long as you have... Um, you know, 11 players and three subs, you're, you're good to go. So I think uh, if you're strict religiously to that, then you'd think it makes sense to play the game. That being said, this is where I think you need to take circumstances into great consideration, not follow the book uh, per se. So uh, it's important to analyse that this is a unique situation the whole world is in. And... Uh, it looks like Europe is about to enter a second wave. So I think just to learn from the mistakes of the first uh, wave, uh, the Serie A, Lega Serie A, have to look at postponing some games just for the safety of the players. Um, as much as fans would love to see games go on, I think uh, the welfare of these players and their health needs to be prioritised they have the privilege of playing football, which most of us can dream of. Uh, they're still human beings. They still have to stay healthy. And uh, it's important for everyone, not just legacy art, to just minimise the spread of this virus. Yeah, so, I do think yeah, that. I think it should have been caught off. 
I think the next seven days are going to see things um, take a turn. Unfortunately, I, I can see the within Serie A clubs rocketing because that's what's happened in Italy. We're now having 11,000 people a day test positive for, for coronavirus, whereas a month ago it was about 2,000 a day. Like That's a huge jump. And the fact that these players, right, they, they're in this football bubble, but they go home to families, a lot of them, and a lot of them have children at schools. So while they're following all the protocol, the people that they're living with are not necessarily following the same strict rules. And add to that, European football's kicking off this week, and we've just had people come back from international breaks. I, the November internationals, I know we said it before the last international break, but I do not understand why those games are still scheduled to go ahead. Cancel them. Forget about international football. Just keep people in the countries that they're playing in for now while, like you said, Vito, it's a very, very unique set of circumstances that the world is living with at the moment. So just just forget about it. Just focus on what's happening inside Italy for now and inside each individual country. Even forget about the Champions League if it takes that, but I don't understand it. I don't understand it. But anyway... We'll move on. We'll move on to something more positive, which was the the derby of sorts that happened in Bologna. Bologna three, Sassuolo four. Kev, Sassuolo are just so good, and they still haven't got Jeremy Boga back. He was on the bench. Uh, yeah, I did wonder what your message when you called him beggar on our little did I? chat. At, uh, oh my god, uh, my running order is a mess. I'm just looking at that now. Yeah. I had Parma so, down to win 3-2, and I, I got Jeremy Bega for Sassuolo. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the game um, because it's rare that you get a, the early kickoff that's, um, that's as entertaining. Um, I, I, I didn't think they were firing on full cylinders, really, Sassuolo. I think uh, Berardi was a little bit lucky with the, his shot going through a crowd of players. Um, right. Because no. you know, I think if the goalie's completely un, um, not unsighted, because it, it wasn't it wasn't great. Um, a great move for the Jurisic goal, but um, yeah, they went up to their usual standard, and they still scored four goals. They scored Not two bad, goals. Is it? Sassuolo. Yeah, I've only watched half the game. Kev, Sassuolo won four three. No. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they did. Did they? I missed the end of the game. <laughs> That's when I've gone out for lunch. Yes, no. Kev. Sassuolo won fourth. Oh, my God. Mm, you missed out, Kev. It was a rip of a game. And I'll be honest, it, uh, I don't think it should have finished fourth three. There should have been both, more goals from both sides. Before uh, we came on air... <laughs> Before we came on air, I said to Connor, almost every game this week weekend was 3-2. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, you're running order and me not reading it. Oh. Because that might have alerted me ended 4-3. You, I mean, I did, just for the listener's sake, I do have the scores correct in the running order. I do have yeah. that. That is on Kev. And Kev did yes. say to me before the, the recording that this game was 3-2. And I said, 
I'm just I'm not going to say anything to him because <laughs> maybe <laughs> he misspoke. But if he hasn't misspoken, well, it's going to be funny. Um, yeah, Kev. So that's what I won four three. Chicho Caputo scored, and then there was an own goal from Tommy Azu. Oh wow. I'll, well, I'll let Vito clearly watched it, so go to him because uh, I'm going to find it on the box and watch the last uh, whatever it was I missed. Yeah. All right, Vito, go. Yeah. But uh, now, when it, when it was three one to Bologna, I thought surely Bologna's got this because in the first half, Sassuolo didn't look like they were themselves. Bologna looked like they were more energetic, combining much better. Um, even though Palacio, when it came to the scoring positions, his shooting was bad, but at least he was offering some movement as a false nine. So they were looking really good, the Felsene. Uh, once Burabia and Traore came up for uh, Sassuolo, I thought that's when we saw the true Nero Verdi. They had that attacking intent. Locatelli was starting to get into the game again, and, that, and the front line, they were really giving headaches to that Bologna defence. Um, towards the end, though, I thought uh, Skorupski really made some good saves. He had to be alert because uh, it really could have been something like 5-3, 6-3 or even 7-3. They just looked so energised towards the end of the game, the Nero Verdi. And uh, it would have been nice if Raspadori had uh, yeah. scored towards the end because he made a lovely solo run. And, uh, yeah, just he just needed a good finish. And, uh, yeah, that would have easily have been the goal of the game more so than... Uh, Berardi strikes, so yeah, another entertaining game all around. That Raspadori run was incredible. It's such a shame he didn't finish it off. It really, really is, Kev. Yeah, it's an interesting point here, actually, as I think about the <laughs> mistake that I made. Is that looking at my notes, I've put down sloppy, silly mistake from uh, Locatelli for the Orsolini mm. goal, which I had wrongly thought was the winner. But it's it's interesting when you do like make your notes while you're watching the games a bit you know like when you're trying to do your match report mm. it gives you probably a fairer reflection of the game as as opposed to if I'd watched just the highlights and saw the four three particularly when there's so many goals and they try and cram it into the four minutes mm. so I think they they certainly probably didn't start um, that well just seeing the header now from Caputo. Good. But, Watch uh, his movement on that replay. His movement's fantastic to to get rid of Hickey. It's really really nice. He's, this is why this is why he should be Italy's number nine. I don't care about Ciro Mobile anymore. I'm over him for Italy. Just get Caputo in there. He'll score your goals. But this is the thing about Sassuolo, Kev. They very very often do have those extended periods and games where you think, what? I don't really know what's happening here. They're they're just making a lot of mistakes. But then for 15 minutes, things click and they go mad and they score five goals. And that's the beauty of them. They keep making these mistakes, but they're so committed to Deserbi's style of play that they'll happen every once in a while. It's like what we said with Atalanta earlier. I mean, that Locatelli mistake, he might do that again this season, but he's not going to boot it out of play. He's going to keep doing it. And that's what makes them so fun to watch. When Boga comes back, though, They'll score six goals in every game. They're going to be great fun. Anyway, um, Roma beat Benevento 5-2. And I don't really have too much to say about this, but I did speak to Alistair McKenzie um, just to talk to him about the fact that Roma are technically unbeaten in Serie A this season. I know they had a 1-0 or a 3-0 defeat forced upon them for forgetting Amadou Diora's birthday. But 
Alistair, what's the feeling like around Rome at the moment? Does it feel like Roma are unbeaten in Serie A? Hello, Connor. Uh, just checking in. Olympico kind of uh, finishing things up here now. It's, yeah, I mean, it, it was probably um, Roma's best performance of the season. Um, obviously, that 3-0 hammering they received by Verona early on wasn't great. I'm joking, of course. Um, the Roma-Juventus game... <laughs> I think highs and lows do with that. And then they got the win against Udinese, but it wasn't too convincing. Yeah, I think tonight, obviously, there's still holes in the performance or things that people won't be totally happy about. And it wasn't maybe as convincing uh, as, as it might sound. It was a very convincing win in the end, but, you know, um, they went behind very early on. And then when they looked to regain control of the game, Benevento managed to get level again. So it was really the way they finished the game that was the most encouraging aspect of the performance. It finished really strongly and in an attacking sense, looked absolutely unstoppable at times tonight. I guess the biggest news is that Fonseca made a bit of a surprise by changing the team's formation back to a 4-2-3-1. It was already a bit of a surprise last season when he changed all of a sudden to his 3-4-2-1 from the 4-2-3-1 and he's gone backwards again now. And obviously that is um, designed to get the best out of this uh, the attacking potential that this team has. I think they'll be he'll be delighted to see Edin Dzeko getting his first goals of the season, um, Pedro scoring for a second consecutive game. Obviously still a few issues. Jordan Verratti's penalty was very avoidable. And they did give Benevento opportunities in a defensive sense. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think they've got plenty to be happy about from this result. Um, like I say, two wins in a row, um, seven points. And, uh, yeah, lot, lots to build on, and I guess, a success, successful um, return to that formation. What I want to talk to you guys about is that Carlos Perez goal. Oh, my goodness, what a goal. He's clearly been watching... Messi closely in his time at Barcelona, Kev. This was this was beautiful. Or like Berardi's goal, are you gonna take it all away from him and say it was bad? Well, no, because I definitely stayed to the end for this one. Um, so I did see it. <laughs> um, when because he he sets off from the from the halfway line, mm. and with some, if you like, dribbles, uh, there's an element of. Um, you know, lack of pace, if you like, with them, where he just set off at a rate of knots. It was, you know, what was I found impressive was the speed at which he was moving the ball before then skipping past three players and then just drilling it low into the corner. You know, less so if you take a direct comparison to me, Zaniolo was at the end of the last season before, where it's more, the run's more weavy, you know, more sort of dropping a shoulder to beat defenders. He just went at pace and just breezed past them all. And then looked like he was going to maybe be taking it a little bit too wide before far and home. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So I would, I would argue it, it's better than the Zaniolo solo goal. Right, come on. For me. You sticking with that? Yeah, I'm sticking with that. Yeah? Yeah, even because both sure? were at the right. Both were both were towards the end of the game, mm. but uh, yeah, I like I like probably the speed at which you transition from halfway to edge of the ball. All right, fair enough. You're wrong. I mean, you are wrong given the context that Zaniolo came back from an ACL. But all right, now fair enough. Fair enough. It was a beautiful goal. It was a beautiful. Goal. Look, I don't want to talk about that game. We've been going on for ages. Benevento look all right though. They're they're going to stay up. They're not going to have any problems. And another game we're not going to talk about is uh, Torino 2, Cagliari 3. I've just seen another typo in that. My God. Yeah, Cagliari beat Torino away 3-2. Balotti scored twice, as Kev said. Um, of course he did, because it was a Torino goal. Of course it was Andrea Balotti. But there you go. Um, finished talking about the football, but we're not finished. Why could that be? Card game. Can- I, I love that it's still called the card game, despite the fact that the cards stopped with Bruno Alves last season. <laughs> but can someone remind me what the score is? Because the last update I have is 2-1 to Kev, but I know that's not true. Is that's it? correct. That's is correct. it really 2-1 to Kev? I assumed I had made a mistake. Right, okay. So it's 2-1 to Kev. Um, so, Kev, you obviously won last week because it was one each at one point, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Kev goes first. Hey, listeners, if you don't know the rules, don't bother. Just switch off. But They're going to ask yes or no answer questions. If the answer is yeah, they get to continue and keep asking questions until they discover the identity of a mystery Serie A player. Kev, you ready? Yes. Are you Vito, ready? are you ready? Yes. Okay. Kev, take it away. Oh, wait. I need is to get his Wikipedia page up. No, don't take it away yet. I always start and then realize that I'm not ready, which... I mean, it is something that's true of my life outside of this bloody podcast as well. But there you go. Right, Kev, you ready to go? (laughs) What? You can get pills for that. (laughs) You ready to go? Yeah. (laughs) Right, come on. Uh, 
Is it Bruno Alves? No. Vito, go. Okay, is this player Italian? He's not Italian, no. Um, are they an attacker? Um, he is an attacker. Okay. Uh, do they play for any of the sides currently residing in the top four? League table questions were four games in. Um, but I'm going to say no. I haven't checked, but no, they're not. Okay. No, they're not in the top four, confirmed. Okay. Right, I'm going to go with Regents. Is this player from a club in the Emilia-Romagna region? The player does not play for a team in Emilia-Romagna. Kev, your turn. Uh, yes. Um, the only play... player we have is the player is an attacker. Yes, I know. And then and they're foreign. Um, do they play in Rome? No, they don't play in Rome. Do they? No, they don't play in Rome. Oi. Vito, it's over for you. This is a bad one. This. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not <laughs> liking the looks. I'm not liking the looks of this on myself. Okay, so okay. Um, does this player play for a club in the north of Italy? Yep, they play for a club in the north of Italy. Okay, uh, is that club in Lombardia? The club is not in Lombardia. No, which means just to break it down for you, Kev. The player plays in Liguria, Piemonte, or Friuli, or Veneto. Do they play for Sampdoria? They do not play for Sampdoria. You could have been more clever about that question. Yeah, so I, want this, I want it over with. <laughs> Ooh, all right, so... <laughs> Oh, this is a bad game. I forgot to set the timer so I could win as well. Yeah, you keep it 60 <laughs> seconds. Okay, all right. Well, yeah, all right, I'll just ask this question. Are the colours of this team black and white? No. <laughs> no, okay. That was clever. I liked that. Okay. Uh, Insurance. No, they don't. Oh my oh, god. god. Oh, that can't really mean one thing. All right. So. It can mean a lot should... of things. <laughs> they play for Torino because he knew they didn't play in black and white. I know. That's what I should have done. <laughs> but with the clues. Okay, so. So the clubs which are, are ruled playing? out are all of the Lombardia clubs Udinese, Sampdoria, Torino, and Juventus are ruled out. Okay, I'm gonna go. All right. So, is this player a a Genoa player? No. All right. So that only. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. So, if I'm thinking correctly, there are only two possible clubs. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Come okay. On, Do they play for Spezia? <laughs> no. <laughs> 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 I 
<laughs> this is the worst game we've ever had. Oh, on, hands man. down. So, yeah, well, that leaves them. Um, okay, so I'm going to ask the dumb question. Is this a Hellas Verona player? Yeah, the player is a foreign forward who plays for Hellas Verona. All right. Oh, damn, that's good because they're a team clogged with midfielders. That is really <laughs> going to be great. Oh, man. And I'm really um, tempted to cheat at this one. Oh, oh don't God. do that. I'll give you a no, clue. Forfeit. That's a forfeit. I'll get three points and you get minus one. What are you doing? <laughs> Stop wasting like time. He's just trying to think. Look at him. I'm going to have to push you for a, a question here, Vito. Let's Verona. Okay. Uh, is this... Pl- oh, that depends if the guy's... Oh, no. He's... Left the guy I was thinking of. Oh, damn it. Oh, damn it. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, I'm actually, for the first time, I'm actually very tempted to throw in the towel. <laughs> you can pass on to Kev if you want. All right, I'll pass to Kev because... All right. So, Kev, a foreign forward for Elas Verona. You've got... I'm going to just give you 30 seconds. If you've not got it in 30 seconds, I'm taking the win on this one. Yeah. Well, I, I, Barini's left them. I can only think of D. Carmine. And I can't think of any other attacker for Hellas Verona for some reason. It's quite a good one, to be fair. I'll give you a clue. I think he's shit. <laughs> you should really get it from that. Santander must still be at Bologna. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, he, he played. He's not at he Verona. You have 10 swallow, seconds. Yeah. Um, no, well, this, this guy is a staple of the FIF pod. For as long as I've been hosting it, I've been criticising it. him. He had a little spell outside of Italy. Your time is up. I win. The player was a late transfer window signing. Um, and it was, I'm sure the listeners all know. Oh, now I know who it is. Vito, can you tell us who the player is? Nikola Kalinic. It is Nikola Kalinic. It is Nikola Kalinic. So, remarkably remarkably the scores are now kev two veto one connor one i don't want to get another point this season guys okay okay i think you guys owe our listeners an apology well i i owe an apology for not watching one of the games to the end so (laughs) (laughs) oh but i did i just got a Anyone who's still listening at this stage, I gotta say thank you for your loyalty. Yeah, I'll say that I, much because oh. um, even just to do this question. game was taxing. If you know, still, usually there are some usually I mean, there are some questions that are a staple of the game, like are they foreign? Which which position do they play? Whether the one I really hate and you always throw in veto is is it a side in the north or the south? And I never know where we draw the bloody line. Right. Uh, <laughs> Right, well, well, this has actually prevented me from choosing players from Rome in this game so far because I don't know what to do. So from now on, okay, the north is everything above Rome. The south is everything beneath Rome, including the islands. Rome is neither north nor south. Uh, okay. The way I see it, north is anything above. Arke and south is anything below um, Lazio and Abruzzo. Yeah, this is a debate that exists on a daily basis here. So (laughs) we'll just have to come up with our own definitions on the FAF pod. 
So from in the future, we have the north, Rome, and the south. Okay. All right, I'll do it that way: north of Rome, south of Rome. Bingo. Okay, okay. and Rome is a separate thing. Okay. Shall we stop recording? Say goodbye, Kev. Uh, ciao, ciao, everybody. Say goodbye, Vito. Oh. Bye, everyone. And it's goodbye from me. Don't listen again.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 